Atomic batteries to power. Everything old is new again. America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Felt a great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a job for me. Where's the green? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. I bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead. Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. You what? You'll send me a bill? Yeah, 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 yeah. These are, I don't think these <laughs> can be fixed. Wait a second. Yeah. You're going to send me a bill? Just for the glasses. Why? Because they're like $219. I, I didn't break your glasses. It was the hug that broke them. It wasn't you specifically, yeah, okay. but you were the yeah. one who instigated the hug. I didn't inst- I instigated the hug? Yeah, I came in for, like, no, for a shake. I came in for a shake, and then I saw you make a move for the hug. So I went in. <laughs> Welcome back. Everything old is new again here. Yet another uh, in a long series of uh, shows that are going to be really uh, exciting and thrilling with David Cohen, Douglas Viviani, the droll, rib tickling and amusing David Cohen. David, how are you today? Oh, I, that's a new one. I haven't heard that before. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. We have a special guest on uh, this week that is really going to blow your mind. It's a gentleman that has appeared in that uh, scene there on, on Larry uh, David's, of course, Curb Your Enthusiasm as the obnoxious neighbor who uh, fell in love with or was very enamored by Julia Louise Dreyfus, if you remember that. And uh, mm-hmm. he's done many, many, many things. Like Larry goes back to the Larry Sanders show as Larry's brother Stan was in Legally Blonde, 40 year old version uh, jack frost uh, stepbrother so many uh, uh, terrific appearances but to me uh, this gentleman is a a renaissance man i tell you why because he's a ukulele a ukulele improvisario a comedy writer he's been nominated for two writers guild of america awards one emmy he's written about pistol pete maravich in a best-selling book, The Life and Times of Pistol Pete Maravich, he's uh, been in commercials all over. He's a producer, writer of published articles, teaches comedy at USC School of Dramatic Arts since 2017. He was the head monologue writer of the first season of The Late Night with Dave, uh, with David Cohen, The Late Night with Jimmy Fallon show, helping launch that show, which brings us to stand-up comedy which I think he excels at, though he does all of this well. He's uh, produced a terrific book now called The History of Stand-Up Comedy. A little subtitle there says, From Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. And we'll talk about and dive into comedy today uh, with Wayne Fetterman. Wayne, thank you very much for being on. Everything old is new again. Yeah, well, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, because you've done so much, we have such a long introduction. We only have three minutes left, but we'll okay. continue. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's just start on right a, a little bit here and talk about uh, that you've performed, from what I could see, in comedy clubs since 1977, approximately 34 years by my count. Uh, question: now, I, When did you start? Well, first of all, no, I started in like 82. I mean, I performed. I mean, I had been performing since high school, but I really count my comedy birth as 1982. All right, so 28 years. Question off to is, a good start here <laughs> with Wayne. Well, I'll tell you, Wayne, why? What, what, what's been the fascination? What's been the interest in stand-up comedy, and what made you start 
and get it. Okay, first of all, your math is way off. (laughs) I knew you were going to check me on that. I don't have my I said 1982. How are you saying that's 28 years? 82, 92, 102. Oh, my goodness. It is a lot of years. David, give me a Yeah, it's over 30. It's over 30. It's almost, (laughs) yeah. I've already checked out. You're not good with math, David? Uh, Well, I am. But, uh, He's a CPA. I, 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 I'm a CPA. I zoned out for a minute. But what look, happened? You, know, you should have jumped in. That was your moment. Correct. That I was it. your. I missed it. But you've been on a long. You've been on the stage a long time, Wayne. Why? Many, many years. Many, many yes, years. Yes, I have. Yes. Uh, what? What you got? Okay. You started doing this. What was it all about? Well, I, you know, I was a kid. I was a funny kid growing up in a very tense family and didn't get a lot of attention at home. And I found out, like in school, I was very funny. But not disruptive. Like, I really, I was able to make the teachers laugh and the kids laugh. Like, there was disruptive make the kids laugh. Like, that was low bar. That's hitting from the ladies' tea, as they say. <laughs> now, I was like, all right, if you can really make the teachers laugh, you have something. So, that's what happened. And teach encouraged me to go into stand-up. And uh, so, that's... <laughs> That's what I did, and I'd love, I've loved it. Attention and approval. I mean, I don't understand who doesn't. I'll tell you what, who doesn't is someone that goes on stage and can't do it the way you do it, can't do it properly and can't get the proper laughs, and you stand there and you look at the audience and the mouth is agape. We've seen that many times, uh, David and I, especially growing up, you know. And uh, Have you tried it? I have tried it. Have I you was, tried it, Douglas? Yes, I have. I was on stage in 1979 at Eastside Comedy Club in Huntington, Long Island. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Uh, with Richie Mendovini. Of course, and the boys. of course. It's a famous club. There you I guess go. that's Judd Apatow's old club, yeah. It is, and uh, we've had we had a great time. Bob Nelson was was there with us back in the day, and, yeah. and just just so so terrific an experience for us. And but we, we would be in the audience, of course, most of the time. That was I was in high school, and I had barely anything to talk about. David later on did some stand up in uh, New York City. David, yeah, struggled for four or five years before saying, eh. Right. So we know what it's like. So, you know, when you were up there yeah. and, and you're sweating and you're, ta- you're, you're putting a material out there and trying to really put your best foot forward and, and you, the audience put you in a bad mood because you sort of know that it's, it's, you know, you're kind of flopping. It's not so much fun. So when you're doing it, you're, you're getting a different response than we uh, certainly did. And, and that's, I think. Well, not thing. always. Not always. I've had my share of uh, tanking it, you know. Douglas Vivian style. Is that how you pronounce your name? Uh, Viviani, actually, yes. Viviani. Yes. Viviani. Sorry, I stand corrected. Right. It's full of, we've all make mistakes. I, I forgive. I don't know others. I try to forgive also. <laughs> okay. Now, I have a clip here, just one clip I want to play. Now, you were not then doing stand-up in around 78 when you met Bob Hope, or did you? Or were you just thinking about doing I was it? not. I was not. I was doing, com- I mean, it was ventriloquism since high school, so... I had been on the stage, you know, but I was not a professional. I was a college kid. Right. All right. So let's just play this real. Cl- Why are you stuck on 1978, Doug? You seem to be really because stuck in Because in 78, that. there was a Fetterman spotting of uh, and dealing with Bob, <laughs> Mr. Bob Hope himself. Yeah, I, good luck on your comeback. Anyway, I, was, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was, um, I was wondering, you know, you do so many shows. And yeah. when you do a, you know, a big show like the Academy Awards, do you still get nervous? I'd get nervous if I was dressed like you. I'll tell you. <laughs> There you go. A little back and forth between you and Bob Hope. What was that like? What inspired that? Give me a smidge of background. That's amazing. Well, it's really a very kind of historic show, believe it or not. This is a show called America Live, which was the predecessor to the David Letterman movie. So it was an NBC show with Art Linkletter's kid hosting it. And Bob Hope was the host. 
I mean, the guest, they wanted uh, somehow the word trickled down to NYU that he was looking for young comedians to be in the crowd to get from to kind of thought it would be good. So unbeknownst to me, I, I was there. He walks by me. I jump up like an idiot. You can hear my voice is super high and nervous. And I was just I don't know. I don't know why I had the guts to, to insult him, but I did. <laughs> and uh, it went great. And he got a huge kick out of it. But here's the thing more important than that. Also in the crowd as a young comedian was Jerry Seinfeld in that same thing. I had never seen Jerry Seinfeld, never heard of Jerry Seinfeld. And Seinfeld also asked him a question. So it was the first time Seinfeld had met Bob Hope. So it was like when I later saw the tape, I was like, okay, this is fun that I'm on this. But they're like two of the greatest to ever do it, to ever walk on the stage are meeting at this moment. To get Bob Hope to laugh, did it kind of light a little bit of inspiration or a little add a little bit to the fire of, gee, I think this is something I may want to dive into? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I was in college and I was studying acting with the most serious of serious acting teachers, this woman named Stella Adler. And she was very, she's into Clifford Odette. She's into Tennessee Williams, you know, and I'm into, like I showed you in your clip earlier, I'm into Mel Brooks and Neil Simon and those guys. So we were, it wasn't, it was great to study with her. I felt like we had a different view of what show business should be. And so I was doing one man shows even in college. So, so maybe you're right. Maybe I did start in so, but if count that, I would count doing talent shows in high school. So I don't know. Just getting on stage and just seeing the reactions, what it is. And still Adler, I think you've, you know, I don't know her, but we've interviewed uh, Peter Weller, who was another student of of hers and, and he's very serious, a really cool Mm -hmm. guy and everything. But yeah, it seems like that's real, real, like serious acting class. And do you smile and laugh in those classes or no? I mean, what's that about? We did. I mean, she liked comedy, but it was like, she was very much out of the group theater, which was a 1930s kind of a, left-wingy, progressive sort of, who thought that theater's job was to send a social message. Like that was the idea behind it. So she was very much entrenched in that world. When she walked in the class, you can't be late for her class. You're late, you're not allowed in the class. She walks in, you know, like making an entrance. Everyone has to stand up till she sits down then we can sit down how about that have you ever happened in a class for you it did it did for me unfortunately i I was in law school so we had the same routine but that's what i mean there was really no you did oh yeah oh yeah i'm gonna a law professor still adler i get it but no No, when when our when our (laughs) torch professor came in the door if you didn't stand up and and then sit down and be quiet you'd be the first one to pick on and make an absolute fool of anyway school what school may i ask what school this is i'm curious about you now a little saint john's school of law and we'll leave you with that for one moment and come back. St. John's. Yes. I'll be back right okay. this. I love it. I and love it. All this new again talking the history of stand-up comedy, history of stand-ups, the book. Wayne Fetterman. We'll get to the history soon. Thanks for the memory. Now, back to America's entertainment pop culture talk show. Everything old is new again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I liked the name Wayne until the fourth grade when my teacher was like, you know, Wayne is also a word. I go, I did not know that. She goes, yeah, it's a verb. I go, what does it mean? Like to run or to play? She's like, oh, no, no, no. It means to diminish slowly over time. (laughs) Are you ready to rock? Uh, No, Mr. Dockin, we're not. Uh, There's 12,000 of us here. We've been chanting your name for 20 minutes. We're wasted. We're here to do a roundtable on the Peloponnesian War. We thought... 
We don't need no education. Oh yeah, well that's a double negative. How about that? We're back here on Everything Old is New again with Wayne Fetterman. You just heard a little piece of his stand-up, tremendous stand-up, tremendous book that he just produced. The History of Stand-Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. Wayne Fetterman, uh, thank you for coming uh, back after the commercial break here uh, on to uh, Everything Old I'm thrilled to be here. It's it's great to have you. We're just getting rolling here. And uh, when you talk to, in, in the book, in, in, in this is a great book, The History of Stand-Up, seriously, uh, you don't... I don't think you miss too much, if anything. And I, I and what do I know? I, I think there's so much in here. We start from the beginning of all of uh, what we can try to figure out what is the beginning, let's say, of stand-up comedy, which is Artemis Ward, you mentioned, Mark Twain, Burt Williams, Will Rogers, and you go and progress basically till today to the, we talk about the pandemic. So if you're interested in, 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 uh, in anything and any, everything comedy, this is the book for you. But let me just start with a quote that you have here in the book, two quotes, and let's see if we, uh, if, if we can discuss this. Stand-up comedy is primarily a generational art form. With very few exceptions, it doesn't age too well. And in the second uh, quote, in the same introduction uh, you mentioned, the harsh fact is that many comics that were once hailed as hilarious, uh, cutting-edge, can, in just a few decades seem out of touch, corny, and simply unfunny to current audiences. Um, let's first dive into that. So, obviously, you believe that there are some, or a majority, you tell me, of, of stand-up routines from the past that become stale over time. Well, I don't know if the word stale is the right word, but yes, it's, yeah, I absolutely believe that. That stand-up comedy is a very generational, of-the-moment kind of art form. Almost somebody described it as making sandcastles. And you're like, they make these incredible sandcastles, and then they're gone. And then new people make new sandcastles, and the other ones don't really resonate as much. No better example than Lenny Bruce. There's no better example who was the edgiest, the most out there comedian of the, of the time. And I talked to comedy friends of mine, they're like, they're like I can barely get through the album. I'm like, I, I love Lenny Bruce, but it does take kind of, you have to make a jump into this kind of jazzy world that he talks in and all, and all of that stuff to kind of get into what he's saying. So you don't agree with that? I, I challenge it in some way. I agree with it. Oh, in I that, love it. Yes, because there is some, let's put it this, the, the political stuff, of course, that, that goes right out. That doesn't work anymore, of course. But right. Let's talk about some uh, more or less that are standards and stand. Well, first, before I challenge it, do you include teams comedy teams because uh, you talk about solos uh mostly in the there's book. a rule i mean i mentioned there's a there's a one there's two paragraphs there's three paragraphs about comedy teams in the whole book because i think it is an adjunct to stand up but no when i talk about stand up i'm not talking about comedy teams and you might be talking about like and i agree that that does still work but that's a comedy team is you're sort of creating a scene almost like a theatrical scene there's tension between one guy and the other guy so it's a little different if you ask me yeah so so that would be my first challenge and i was gonna and i did recognize that in the book that you didn't focus on the team and that certainly makes sense when you say that so let's let's turn to then somebody like uh uh, how about a George Carlin, a Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, Red Buttons doing Never Got a Dinner? There are lots of these that I think if you play, you still get a kick out of, but maybe I'm wrong. You tell me. Well, a lot of it has to do with how old you were when you first heard this person. So to you, 
a lot of maybe you rehearing a red buttons routine never got a dinner is like oh i remember when i saw this on the dean martin roast or i remember when i saw him do this uh, sitting on the couch with johnny carson so sometimes so a lot of times the memories get caught up with the actual comedy whereas somebody i don't know 16 years old might not be, have any of that. so example of someone who's transcends time because he talked about big social issues that still apply today and i'm actually working on a documentary about him right now so he is like i said there are a few exceptions he's one of them and i think i think richard Pryor is to an extent but even eddie Murphy was like i would never do that kind of material i did back in 1982 now that's interesting. So let me let's go to the uh, way back uh, to somebody like a, and this may make your point or may not. Let's just look at it because there are times you have to have an open mind with this, of course. And younger people, as all of us as we're young, we want our contemporary comedians. We want to hear the stuff right now. We don't always want to hear the stuff from the past. And so already when we see it in black and white or we hear it on just like a radio broadcast, uh, I think there's a prejudice that comes to it right off the, right off the bat. But if you listen to the old Jack Benny uh, stand-ups sometime where you listen to uh i don't know, even red skeleton and i know the I know i'm dating myself but you have to date yourself to to go back to talk about this topic um i think there i guess what i'm trying to say is there are laughs that you can have from you may not have all of the laughs that they presented because they because some of it may miss and we've done a show on wheeler and Woolsey all these guys and, yeah oh you did oh god yeah uh, look all of those guys you said had great careers and were funny all through their career but Again, this is it's very generational when it comes to that stuff. And I feel like when you talk about Jack Benny's stand up, you're really talking about Jack Benny's show uh, more than his stand up. And I, you know, I love these guys. I, you know, I like Will Rogers material. You know, I, I'll go back even there. But I noticed that people very much like kind of their generation and on. And it's very hard for them to connect. I know, like at USC where I teach. Like one of the teachers was like, oh, I can't believe you like Bob Hope's material. It seems so corny and bump bump to me and shoddy. I'm like, well, yeah, it is a little bit. I mean, I have to admit it, it is. But if you can just like make that leap into the time, it's incredible to me. But again, it's so subjective. It's absolutely subjective. Totally. What do you think? I How come I'm not hearing from David? How come I'm not hearing one word he from this guy? He doesn't exactly. let me What's speak. I, could you, uh, could, you can barely get a word in edgewise, Wayne. Think of me. I'm not oh, I love, you guys are a comedy team. I see what's happening here. Okay. <laughs> David Cohen, let's see what you have to say. What's on your mind, brother? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was thinking about what you guys were you know, going on and on about. Um, and I was thinking that... One one comedy bit that comes to mind that I loved when it came out after the OJ trial was was the um, Chris Rock. He did an amazing. Yes. Uh, and, and it's a classic. And, you know, yes, if I go back and watch that again, I probably will laugh at it, even though I've seen it before. I appreciate, you know, what he did and, and, the, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the humor behind it. But but now, Wayne, I understand your point. If my son, who is 22, if he watched it, I, I don't know if he'd have the same reaction. Um, you know, part of it was because of the current events that were happening at the time. But part of it is, you know, my son, these guys, they go to they go to see comedy these days. It, it's different. It's not necessarily just, you know, set up and punchline, set up and punchline. A lot of it is just stream of consciousness, like very avant garde type of comedy mm -hmm. that's appealing to them. At, whereas, you know, the traditional hokey stuff they might they might consider 
something that Chris Rock did. Wow. Well, I yeah, I mean, again, Chris Rock is like he's on the Mount Rushmore, you know, we're certainly near in our in the argument for that. So, yes, if you're taking the greatest practitioners of it, absolutely. Their stuff, I think, does a lot of it or a, a big chunk of it does transcend. But um, I get, you know, I, I'm just, it's hard to argue because we're arguing about something so subjective. It's like some people never Jack Benny, you know, even in his prime, even in the 30s and 40s, they were like, ah, I can't this. And they were more Fred Allen guys. And they're like, that's comedy to me. So it's it's hard to argue for something so, so subjective. Right, but it lends itself to the argument you love to have, which is what we say about our show. And I, and I, I, I thank you for indulging us in that because uh, the history of stand-up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle will get you thinking about this when you read this book. You will go back and you also want to say to yourself, wow, I really feel bad that I've never gotten an opportunity to see, I mean, Mark Twain on stage. And I know we're not talking about you know, just the genesis of comedy when when you read this book and when you were researching it didn't you feel like holy smokes let me go to youtube and look up uh, uh mark twain oh that's right he's not around like you, you, how can we judge those that we just hear uh that others you know talked about it's impossible right but they nonetheless they they're the it's foundation possible yeah i mean there's no recordings of mark twain but there is some transcripts uh, written of his speeches and stuff I can say is he was getting laughs he toured the entire world in the 1800s so somebody at that time was really enjoying what he was doing in india in england in germany in austria all over the world they were loving couldn't get enough of this guy so all i can say is i think that's interesting we're not his references and i don't know who you know what exactly he was talking about appeal to me is not to me the secondary thing i don't to study stand-up comedy is like oh this guy's great to me it's the bar i think like oh people at that time thought he was funny so that's that's why he's significant in history and somebody like don rickles who i adore i know people are just like i can't take it i just can't it's too it's too incendiary for way i'm like well, you know he's kidding, right? And they're like, well, it doesn't sound like he's kidding. It sounds like he's every ethnicity except Jews. Well, you know so what? That's, I'm like, going to stop you there, Wayne, because I want to take that up uh, in the next section. It's exactly what I was going to talk about next. So let's uh, take a break here, and we'll come right back with Wayne Fetterman on Everything Old is New Again. <laughs> These days, the news is full of teen suicide, drug and alcohol abuse. It's depressing and concerning, but there is hope. Former WWE Intercontinental Champion Mark Marrow. Champion Choice is a live presentation that empowers students to make positive choices and live their best lives. Teach students how to live a drug-free life, prevent bullying, avoid peer pressure, and keep negative people out of their lives. We are defined by our choices. There is hope. To schedule a Champion of Choices presentation for your school or organization, visit thinkpause.org. This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show. I never actually thought I was funny. You may think I don't have any talent. I guarantee you, I had no talent. None. Remember, you are a thought machine. Everything you see, hear, experience is usable. Whatever makes you unique as a performer, do it and know that there's room for you. 
Hey, welcome to Steve Martin's Masterclass. Here we go. Everything old is new again. We're at the Wayne Fetterman Masterclass here talking about his book, which is amazing. you got to get involved. You can get it anywhere, of course. The History of Stand-Up. There's no book like this, by the way. You're not going to be able to see a shelves and shelves of this material. This has it all and all you need. The History of Stand-Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. It's going to reignite, I, t- I guarantee you, your interest in, in comedians of the past and going to want to say to yourself, maybe I can watch some of their TV shows, listen to their, their radio shows but more than that i think it's going to be what you whistle for when we get out of this pandemic here and hopefully hopefully see some stand-up again wayne fetterman thanks for coming back you're welcome now that was <laughs> it took a lot of arm twisting off the air between between uh, segments here well, i'm always wayne. amazed when people actually stick around here you know no the point there is but i'll ask the question can anyone be taught how to perform and be a comedian and do you think that's what he's saying there no i don't think that's what he's saying but I do think I think that a lot of people can be taught, but I do think there is a certain it's when they say sense of humor, it's like a sense, like a smell or touch or something. It's something you're born with that you can't develop that. And some people just have an elevated view of like, look at Larry David, like that's just a funny guy, you know, whether he would have made it in showbiz or not, he was just he has that weird thing and you, you can see it immediately. I don't think anyone can, but. And, and again, I teach a class, so it's some people I do think are hopeless, but most people are like kind of get a sense of it and can and can figure it out. I've seen it. I've seen people that weren't like a funny person figure it out like a math problem. She did it as a math problem, and she has a great career. If you have the interest, if you're looking at Steve Martin or you're taking your class at uh, USC, you already have that interest in it. You have that uh, maybe in the back of your mind that you want to do it. So so maybe at some point something inspired that. So maybe that person brings to the table that sense of humor, right? I mean, that makes sense. Maybe, maybe. I mean, yes. Or some people are just like, oh, this is a fun class. I'm taking organic chemistry and molecular biology. I'd like to laugh for a few hours and I get to hang out with Wayne Fetterman and a bunch of funny kids. So there's that also. But I'm really focused on what Steve Martin just said. That's amazing. Didn't he just say that he's not talented? Yes. Well, see, he created all. I'm going to teach myself the banjo. I'm not talented. I'm going to teach myself magic tricks. I'm not talented. I'm going to teach myself balloon animals. And one of the great guys I talk about, talk about Steve Martin, because he was the first rock star comedian. He was, I know you're from Long Island. He was headlining the Nassau Coliseum. These are places Led Zeppelin played. You were there? Both of us were were there. there. Yep. He did the hidden dime trick. He did the hidden dime trick. Oh, I love it for the people in the back. Sitting in the back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And King Tut, of course, he came out and did that as well. Oh, my God. I had no idea. So that's 78. When I was on hanging out with Bob Hope, you're hanging out with Steve Martin. Is this right? Uh, We didn't want to say it before, but yeah. Yeah. Us and 16 other thousand people that I love it. (laughs) Tell me more about that show before I get into it, because I want to talk about Wally Bogue as soon as you're finished with that. Absolutely. David Cohen, you want I could tell a story, but you have something in mind about that show? No, I, I remember how hard I laughed at the hidden dime trick because it was so absurd. Right. And the people in our section who were sitting up in the in the in the boondocks where we were, we I've never been in, in a an arena 
where a thunderous laugh just erupted with with thousands of people around you all at once. It was just amazing to be part of it and to hear it. So that part I remember. Other parts, you know, are kind of vague, but because it was a long time ago. It was just right. yeah. to what me. Do you remember to that? me, it was just an amazing experience. First of all, I think I was sixteen. It was the first concert that I ever went to. First concert T-shirt I ever had, and it was with Steve. Is there Martin. an open act? There was. Was there an opening act? I don't believe that. I don't, I don't so. remember. I don't, I don't remember. So. I remember right. he did something on film first. He did a film clip first that was funny and then came out. Yeah, he plays the uh, absent-minded waiter play before his concerts. Yeah, okay, I love it. I, I'm so of you guys that you saw him. That's a historic show because that's, those are the first arena tours ever for a comedian. And now Sebastian Maniscalco sold out Madison Square Garden Four shows over two nights, two Friday, two Saturday, made eight point two million dollars. Yes, and I, I, I just can't. It's it's so comedy is uh, stand up is still alive. That's for sure. Let me double. Still point. alive. It's booming. It's exactly. booming. But well, yeah. but we've got this issue of not getting out to see them in person, so to speak. Is there a difference between certainly for the comedian is, but for the audience, of course, for stand up on television versus in person? Of course, of course. Yeah. But in the same way, it's like Bob Newhart. I'm sure you know. Got his start doing releasing a record on Warner Brothers in 1960. So, and at the time, here's a really interesting thing in my book, the history of stand-up, that some of the more established comedians, like Alan King, was like, "Why should I put my act out on a record for two dollars and ninety-eight cents when I'm making eight grand a week in Vegas?" They didn't even understand the thing. And cut to Bob Newhart has had this amazing. Not that Alan King hasn't had a, a great career. But Bob Newhart is like the new Jack was the new Jack Benny. There's no question about it. Huge series after series after series. So, you know, it's comedy is constantly changing in a weird way. Bob Hope was reacting what well, his act was different than the comedians that were before him. So and, and talking about those so albums, constantly, it, it does evolve. You're right. And talk about those albums. It went from the from the relatively clean uh, Bob Newhart to Red Fox, uh, which was the exact opposite. And that album I still uh, play once in yeah. a while today. So, yeah, if you think about it, it does always. Well, he had like 30 albums. <laughs> there was like 30 Red Fox it's albums. There was a lot of them. I could only afford one but of them. Can I go back to Wally Bogue? Yes, please do. Can Because Wally Bogue, a lot of people probably not heard of. He was at the end of vaudeville. And then he did burlesque, and then he toured nightclubs. He was in that area, did a couple of Ed Sullivan shows, and then started working at Disneyland in 1955 at the Golden Horseshoe Review. Did five shows a day there for 20-some years, maybe 25 years. That's where 10-year-old Steve Martin saw him. It was the first comedian he ever saw. And guess what Wally Bogue does in his act? Balloon animals. Oh, wow. The same thing you saw at Nassau Coliseum. What does Wally Bogue do? He sings and dances. What does Steve Martin do? He can't dance. He does happy feet. He sings. He does King Tut. So it's like he got a lot of his kind of inspiration of what comedy could be. And it, believe me, if you were a, a cutting edge 60s who was into Lenny Bruce and Mort Saul, you would have thought Wally Bogue was the corniest old school comedian you ever saw. But Steve Martin, because he's a genius, so it's like, oh, there's something here because he's making these tourists at Disneyland laugh. And so... I just love that connection. Like, that's the guy that inspired Steve Martin. 
not Jonathan Winters or one of these crazy headliners. So it's really interesting. That's part of the story of stand-up. Which is what I love because it brings all of that about. It also brings out an explanation of what the word blue means. In vaudeville, you used to uh, perform and you get a blue envelope after the show with all your offending words and references and told to take them out of the act. So the first question I would say and ask you, because later on when cable TV came around, and of course we talked about Lenny Bruce in the 60s, uh, try to break those barriers and, and were able to be more... Or uh, what would you say, offending or vulgar, if you will. The limitation that was placed on comedians up until that era around there, let's say 60s and 80s, before that limitation, did it affect for the better or worse or nothing at all with respect to the creativity that the stand-ups had to do to try to overcome this uh, this stuff? Because now you could just say whatever you want, whatever you that's want. A, that's a great debate. And there are people that think that it was more creative if you had to kind of figure a way out and around it like the Smothers Brothers did. Like they couldn't do certain things, but they're like, hey, we want to get get our message out. I don't, I'm a big believer in free speech. And I think if you look at George Carlin's career, you can see that his ability to say anything as incendiary at times it seems like he's just trashing capitalism in america like and religion i mean these are real fundamental belief systems he's attacking as a comedian i mean that's insane like how bold he was uh, to do all that so i am more of a free speech by guy but i think we can all admit there's comedians that just take that uh, advantage take that liberty and just it's just vulgar for no reason at all. Like, I think we can all agree with that, right? We can. We did We did a, a, a show on oh. comedy and stand-ups and all that, and we had a, Doug and I had a big argument over, you know, the use of swear words and blue material versus working clean, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my point was that, you know, I, I don't care. You say whatever you want. To me, the, the measuring stick is, is it funny? Of course. If it's vulgar and it's funny, then it's good. If it's vulgar and it's not funny, then it's just vulgar. But we, but we right. saw, the other side of the fence is, and, and we got to get to a commercial break, we'll continue this in a moment, but we saw at Eastside Comedy Girl all these years ago, Gilbert Gottfried, <clears throat> before, uh, of course, he was on Saturday Night Live, even, if you remember that, and... Um, and he was doing a routine, it seemed to be off the top of his head, but regardless, was hysterical, probably the funniest stand-up we've seen. And we, you know, we know we're experts, but from what we've seen. And and then I see him do this stuff that's a little more blue or dirty on, on the roasts. And to me, it was funnier to watch him clean and work around and talk about what he was talking about, if you remember, David, on on, on stage back then. So, yeah. you know, that's just, it's so subjective. But that, you know, we'll get back to Wayne Fetterman talking about this. Hey, to take up too much time. But we've got to because this is a tremendous book. The History of Stand-Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. I'm telling you, you're not going to want to put it down. And you're going to uh, really get turned on by stand-up comedy right, right off the bat. Uh, we'll be back. This everything else new again. <laughs> This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. Hi, this is comedian Wayne Fetterman. I am the author of a new book called The History of Stand-Up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle. And I am on Everything Old is New Again with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen. I'm losing it here. I'm losing it. We're just fans of comedy. We literally went to Eastside Comedy Club when we were 16. Who did that? And we went like almost every weekend. And that was, that was Gilbert Godfrey. Sure, a lot of Bobby Collins. 
didn't see Collins too much. No, we no. saw. Uh, oh, okay. I think that may have been, he. I think he was there when we were in college in the early '80s. Well, Eddie Murphy was on oh, okay. a lot when we were there. Right. When we were going there before SNL, and we thought he was hilarious, of course. But the the point I wanted to make about um, Gilbert Gottfried was that was way before Gilbert Gottfried became like Gilbert Gottfried, that shtick he does, that voice he does. He was just a normal, run-of-the-mill white, no, white a very guy doing stand-up, but he was very, very funny. Oh, yeah, of course. He was like the comedian's comedian. Because yeah. he could do Belzer. Before he did the whole Gilbert Gottfried thing. I know. The, you know what yeah. I mean? Yes. I <laughs> he better know. Now, listen. Who am I talking Wayne, I don't know if you know the history of comedy. Have you heard of Bob Hope? A few <laughs> I'm pretty familiar with Gilbert's trajectory. <laughs> Now, wait, can you do me a favor? Before I'm usually we... talking to Doug, so I feel like I have to explain a lot. Okay. It's, uh, I just... love I should just watch you two go back and forth. That's good. <laughs> uh, here we, we're going to have some uh, fun here with uh, Wayne Fetterman next week. He had to leave uh, for a few moments here. We just had him on for uh, for the last three sections, and what a great time. Good, good, good times with Wayne Fetterman. We're going to continue talking about the history of stand-up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle, uh, David Cohen here as well. Continuing, David, you know, the interview was going good. I think it was a lot of fun so far. And uh, and then you had to take a turn uh, teaching him about uh, about history of, of Yeah, of well, the, I think that's the first instance of mansplaining uh, to another man, <laughs> which I was very proud of. I, I guess I do that. You know, I, I, I really thought about that after. And I, I thought, like, you know, of all the people to, have <laughs> to just... Not only did I explain it to him, that was bad enough, right? Because, I mean, he knew. So that was innocent enough that explaining what we saw and, you know, the before and versus the after. But then, like, I didn't think he got it. And I had to say, see, what really happened, though, was that he used to do it a different way. So that was the part where. I thought long and hard about that, Doug, afterwards. And I think you lose sleep I, I do over that it? a lot to everybody, and I have to I have to stop doing that. What does the wife say about that? Have you oh, talked to her? I, you know, I, I explained it to her, and she was in total agreement. Yeah. <laughs> did she have, like, chills? I mean, did you? Did, no, did, she just said, yeah. Yeah, you do that to me all the time. Oh, my God. But she let okay. she see. So she. the problem is. She is so uh, nice and, what would you say, uh, well-balanced and together that she just lets you do it, and it just goes off. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll let him do that. I'm not going to talk about mansplaining. I'm not going to get angry with him. It is He is who he is, and uh, I guess that's what I'm stuck with for the next I think when you're, to, when you're with someone for so long, yeah, you, you kind of accept those sort of things. <laughs> exactly. you, know, you just live with it. That's the way they are. And if it gets too out of hand, you might say something, right? But, <laughs> I mean, she literally yeah. she literally probably turns her back to the sink and washes her hands and rolls her eyes when you're talking like this. And <laughs> just bites, bites I'd the like bullet. to think she doesn't, but she probably does. <laughs> oh, my God. Here we go again. <laughs> but literally, the man wrote a book called The History of Stand-Up. And David Cohen is turning to him and saying, one of the most famous comedians today... Uh, we saw when he was in the beginning of his career. Do you know his beginning of his career? Have you ever heard of him? Uh, do you know that he? And that wasn't these... enough. What he, <laughs> yes, he says, yeah, that was. I, I know. Yeah, because what he used to do. I love what he goes. I just wouldn't stop. That was the bad part. <laughs> I know the trajectory of. Thanks. <laughs> I literally teach a class at UCLA in stand-up comedy, and I wrote the book 
There's only one book, by the way, in the world that I'm aware of, uh, of stand-up comedy. It's the history of stand-up from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle by Wayne Fetterman. I'm telling actually, by the way, it's a pretty cool book. Yeah. <laughs> <Dead> uh, <laughs> no, it really is. It, it, it's, I guess I should read it. it, it <laughs> I would have known that he knew about Gilbert Gottfried. See, that's... I didn't do my research. Yes, exactly. Either. And he did. He did. And and this is the second person. As I spoke to Michael Elias, who was uh, one of the writers of Steve Martin' uh, career in the early days, and one of the writers of The Jerk, and he also spoke about the Nassau Coliseum and Steve Martin playing it and how historic it was. And it was to us, you know, it was like, oh my goodness, there's a comedian playing at a at a location that's going to have, you know. I guess it was. You have to say eighteen thousand people. Uh, it was. It was. Uh, it was a major sporting indoor sporting. Uh, that the hosted hockey and basketball. I mean, it was a big thing. But you know, we were kids back then. We didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't appreciate it. I well, mean, it's I like being figured... a kid in the nineteen twenty. Like we were born. In, if we were born nineteen ten, and it was nineteen twenty seven, and we were at Yankee Stadium watching the Yankees, are you going to say to yourself, "Oh my God, I'm watching the allegedly the, the best team of all time"? You know, right. You're right. just gonna not appreciate. Just gonna go through it. But but like my grandfather, who did go through that in the '70s, looked back and would tell me about that, and he would revere those players and the times at that. In hindsight, of course, you know. But yeah. when you're going through it, you just you don't know what you're doing. No, no, and because we used to see concerts there, right? So this this wasn't a concert. This was just Steve Martin. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's go see Steve Martin there. We didn't. There was no context other than. It was another show to go to, and we love Steve Martin, so why not? And it was a fun show, and yeah, didn't have any, you know. But we never thought to, to ourselves significance, right? We never thought to ourselves, "Holy smokes!" No comedian, other than well, me. I didn't never said "Holy smokes," but, so <laughs> that's true. I think I might have said it, but but I I think I must have said "Golly gee," it might have been I, that might have been in my yeah. vernacular back then, and, and it would have said, yeah. you know, no one's ever done this before, like literally that what we're aware of. Since let's say recorded comedy, you know, I mean, there's been com- I I have to say stand up comedy. I bet you existed back in the Roman days too, in some level or another. Though they weren't civilized. I'm sure it was more uh, barbaric, so to speak. But the, the point being, uh, there had to be people on stage. There were comedies back then. People laughing at this person and that person, whatever. But for all intents and purposes, for all the world that we're aware of. It's the first time that anyone has ever just stood on stage before 18,000 and made them laugh. Think about that. They do it now commonplace. Never do, yeah. never been done before. So I guess that's why all these people are like all kind of freaked out that we were there. Yeah. And yeah, it, was, it was the start of a start of a trend, but we didn't know that. Right. And I remember I remember buying the t-shirt. I had the t-shirt for many, many years. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, the black that. t-shirt, the one they would sell them in the parking lot That's and all right. that? That's right. I had that, too. Oh, it was the greatest. And literally, that yeah. was my first concert, by the way, including bands and stuff, you know. Really? That, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. First one to go to, the, the, you know, at a big coliseum like that. We used to go. Back in the day, if you remember, this is late 70s, there were bands playing out in clubs all over the place. You yeah, because I remember you turned to me at one point and said, yeah, this is great, but imagine like a band playing here. <laughs> yeah, it's called a concert. Can you imagine this place filled with sound, with music? <laughs> and then he did King Tut at the end, by the way. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. Dressed up that's and all right. that stuff. <laughs> so it was a sort of a semi-concert for you. Yeah. That was, the, that was my first... To- actually, the NASA Coliseum, 
at the time. That was 70. Am I, am I right? That was 78, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, in 73 and 72, maybe you did this too. I went to go see the New York Nets play with Julius oh, yeah. Irving in, in the Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, I saw him. He scored like, I saw him one game. He scored over 60 points, I remember. Yeah, the, the guy was absolutely amazing. I guess I guess you could say, and I don't know if this is fair, but Earl Monroe told us this, that the he didn't believe the competition was as significant as the NBA at the time, though you could you could reel off tons of names of players that were in the ABA that made a great career in the NBA when they merged. So I don't 100% know that that's a real strong argument or not, but uh, the doctor was a... I, I, certainly a hero, but he was more than a hero. He was he was like a, I, what do you say? He was like a Babe Ruth back then. He was iconic, uh, of hmm, course. Not about Babe Ruth on, on Long Island. I'm just saying for Long Islanders. <laughs> the Babe for Ruth Long Islanders. Island. He was iconic for Long Islanders. You you went to the Nassau Coliseum, and of course the Islanders played then too. Of course. Well, they, that was yeah. I mean, that was the big thing when when we were growing up. When they were they were good. Yeah. What if four or five stand five Stanley Cups in a row? Right. No, four. They lost the fifth one. Lost lost the fifth one to Edmonton in the eighty. But I mean, that was an unbelievable run. So that Coliseum really, really was an amazing building with lots of stuff going on. And now it's got literally nothing going on. All the teams have left because of the silliness. Whatever they do with these, I don't know how all the works. But bottom line is they've lost two teams. They've lost the circus. I don't know what wait, else. Wait, wait. There was Nassau. But what was the one near us? The, the Comac Arena. The Comac Arena. Yes. And after that, and they the, had a uh, a drive-in there. You remember that? But th- didn't the Ducks, Long Island Ducks, used to play hockey at the Comac Arena? They so- did. And the Nets played there for their first year. I think it was 71 or 72. Yeah. Wow. And Peter Frampton like Comes Alive was recorded there. At the... Really? At the Comac Com- Arena? Yes. Come on. Frampton comes alive. We'll be Are back. You serious? Oh, yeah. I'm very serious. I got to Google that, that baby. I yeah. don't know about that. Absolutely. I'm telling you. <laughs> it was a little before my time. What was that, 76? I was 14. There's no way I could have gone to see that concert. Would have loved to. That was an unbelievable situation. Then it was a flea market. Then it became a, then they tore it down. It became a drive in theater. And now it's a, uh, a Target. Is that yeah. what it is now? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Uh. There you go. All right. Speaking of uh, all things fun, we'll be back next week to talk about the history of stand-up again with Wayne Fetterman on uh, w, uh, on Everything Old is New Again uh, from Mark Twain to Dave Chappelle, the history of stand-up, Wayne Fetterman, David Cohen, Douglas Viviani. We'll be back on Everything Old is New Again. Mm-hmm.